0: there are no people there are no people in the future no people at all there are no people in the future Where did all my people go There are no people in the future Let me try my people cow.
1: Welcome, yes, it is Monday, August twenty second, 2022. Welcome to Raging Chicken's Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And check out our once or twice monthly The Wednesday Show with Cyril Micheleko, who, uh-oh, is here tonight, too. <laughs> Cyril is, of course, the editor-in-chief of the Bucks County Beacon, and he joins me to drill down on the Bucks County, Pennsylvania, international politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can support this show by becoming a patron for as little as 5 bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash Press. And you can help out the show by going over to our YouTube channel. If you're not there already, smash that subscribe button. uh, Like the stream for this show and hit that notification bell. So, you know, every time that we go live, you can join our discord server. Info on that is in tonight's show notes. And for more PA progressive talk, tune into the Rick Smith shows live stream. 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, or subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast. Head on over to the show.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. Yep, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind that podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. You make sure to follow them on Twitter at The Night Caucus. That's at The Night Caucus on Twitter. And you gotta subscribe to them and you know go we'll follow them. On, I'm sorry, and subscribe to them there goes my voice, and subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. And for all you gamers out there, the Game Inn is a town based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, they've got everything from Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video game platforms, or video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And with school coming back, you know, they just might be might just might bring it back if you're lucky. Yep, kids will get discounts when they get A's in the report cards. Check them out on their Facebook page, follow them on Twitter at thegamein. If you have got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at the or thegameinpa at gmail.com. That's thegameinpa at gmail.com. Special shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff and f- on his YouTube page. Or uh, Sorry, check—excuse oh, me. I'm, I'm doing, like, seven things at once right now, just so everybody knows. Yeah, sorry. Special sh- so check him out, uh, all his great stuff on his YouTube page, and follow him on Twitter at songadayman, at songadayman. That's with two Ns, at songadayman on Twitter. And look, everybody— don't let Paul Martino and his oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has term teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pact to invest in organizing, support local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmask the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. That's ragingchicken.levelfield. Dot, net, and look—we've got some great stuff coming up on uh, Out the Coop Live in the coming weeks. Uh, as you know, tonight uh, people have jumped on early. Uh, know that uh, we got Cyril Nikolakos tonight, of course, uh, which I'll say more about a second. But next week. Um, I welcome at 7 p.m. once again. I welcome Jennifer Cohn to the show. Jennifer Cohn is an attorney, election integrity advocate, and political writer whose articles have appeared in the New York New York Review of Books, Who, What, Why, The Independent, T.Y.T. Investigates, The Brad Blog, Salon, and of course, right here in our backyard, the Bucks County Beacon. We'll be talking. <coughs> we'll be talking about her latest article in the Beacon called. Quote, underreported and massive theocratic movement joins forces with Michael Flynn and Roger Stone in which she lays out just how scary the fascist religious right is looking and the threat they pose to our democracy. I kid you not folks, uh, this article I knew immediately when I read it in the Beacon that just came out I think yesterday, I was like alright I gotta reach out to her and see if I can get her on the show. So um, it's, it's something else it's something else and it's frightening uh, and actually right before the show tonight uh, Keith Oberman uh, read her piece and tweeted it out and said, holy crap, this is scary. So just give you an idea about what's going on and definitely check out her work in The Beacon and we'll have her on next Monday, August 29th at 7 p.m. Shout out to all our Twitter warriors of the day, helping spread the word about tonight's show. Shout out goes to Carmo Steph, Venting, uh, Kath C. the Sage, Alyssa Bowen, of course, Alyssa, Violetta, Kirsten Zolfo, dorothy's sutterfield satterfield sorry my writing's bad um sister sister writer presley starry-eyed shell jen bells and maureen yes uh and those are just the ones i was able to catch before the show tonight um so shout out to all our twitter warriors thank you for help spreading the word i appreciate it i appreciate it i appreciate it so much Also, uh, on tonight's show um, I'm walking Cyril Micheleko, as I was saying, back to the show. Cyril is, of course, the Editor-in-Chief of the Bucks County Beacon. And Cyril and I are going to be talking about a growing um, kind of right-wing movement to call for a constitutional convention. Now, you may have seen some news about this um, and, you know, usually it gets weird coverage Like, well, there's these people that are doing this thing. Well, some supporters, like Representative Brian Fitzpatrick, are calling for Pennsylvania to sign on to this constitutional convention, while publicly shopping a reasonable case for such a move, a convention like that could fundamentally remake our democracy, ushering in an era of right-wing minority rule. And we're we'll also checking to see what is happening with the Bucks County Beacon and in our communities. Um, welcome to the show, Cyril. How you doing tonight, man?
0: Good. It's great to be back, Kevin.
1: Great. So just everybody knows, uh, we had a couple little technological glitches um, kind of earlier on in the show. So if we get some, uh, if we get any of that, if we get any internet dropouts or things like this, um, I'll let you know at the time. Uh, But if you do hear any hesitations or pauses, it's just because we're still kind of working out that. It seems like the internet's being a little bit quirky with us uh, this evening. Um, so Cyril uh, you know it's uh, it seems like what well, had you you were on kind of two maybe three weeks ago I can't remember uh, last time and it seems like every week that goes by um, um, after having you on the show it seems like you know there's w- like one more additional volcanic thing to worry about <laughs> um, and uh, and this week seems to be no different so uh, are you holding in there yeah
0: yeah, you know, um, you know, no rest for the weary, especially with kind of the Republican Party's war on democracy that we're kind of
1: facing right now. 100%. Well, you know, one of the reasons I want to have you on the show, and we were originally going to do this as, uh, as just another Wednesday show, but there's like so much stuff that's going on, um, especially that's happening with the beacon that is happening with, um, uh, you know, just kind of in our communities. Um, but you just published this piece. That is calling attention to uh this movement for a constitutional convention. Um, and this constitutional convention is not the kind of convention or not the kind of say like an amendment to the constitution that you would kind of hear about in your civics class. Um, this is a potentially really dangerous um and really kind of game-changing kind of move um that the right has been working on for a while. So um, maybe we could kind of dig into that a little bit um, and kind of get a sense of, oh, set us the stage of kind of what got you kind of connected to this and pay attention to some of this stuff and kind of walk us through a little bit about what you're doing in the piece.
0: Sure. Um, Well, this was kind of actually a, a tip given to me from a reader. Um, which I followed up on and just want to encourage other readers to feel free to do the same because, uh, you know, the beacon on like maybe some other mainstream media is responsive, um, you know, to our readership. And when I started digging into it, like I'd already known that this was kind of like a a movement. I know the Penridge area GOP club um, has hosted a few events. Um, promoting this in the past, so it was definitely on my radar, but it wasn't until I, I saw that, you know, Congressman Fitzpatrick, the so-called might right, was teaming up with a good, a good defender, you know, and another congresswoman um, who um, also has extremist positions um, to promote and champion this, this type of uh, constitutional convention. Um, and so what would happen is that, um, you know, if if two thirds of uh, states pass resolutions calling for a constitutional convention, um, then that would be convened. And, and the, the real dangerous part of this is, is that, you know, it, it essentially could, they could throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like they could just completely like, just alter this founding
1: document of ours. Um, and what we're seeing is, Cheryl oh, Cheryl just cut out. So he said we're about to say they can alter the founding document um, and kind of what they're seeing here. So a little kind of background. because I remember a few years ago. Uh, well, I, I kind of several years ago, we were, probably were talking back uh, right back in 2010, 2011, when we had the rise of the Tea Party and so on. Um, we had this situation in which there were even some folks on the left who thought this whole idea about a constitutional convention was a great idea. Right, they're basically saying, "Well, look, if we get a constitutional convention and we limit it to these really specific things, maybe we should do that." And they were kind of, you know, talking about maybe using this as a way to expand democracy and all these kind of good things, right? Um, and there was this, you know, s- this sense on the left that, well, you know, maybe, okay, yeah, there's these these folks on the right that want to do this, but if we kind of, you know, have a majority there, then we could do these things. The problem is, there's like problem is twofold, right? Um, the first problem is that um everything is dependent uh, or i'm sorry everything that would be on the table there Right, at a constitutional convention is up for grabs. So, in other words, even if somebody wanted to come forward and say, we are going to limit this convention to just this one issue, like, so for example, uh, Representative Brian Fitzpatrick has been talking about, yes, we can open up a constitutional convention so that we have a, a budget, like a, a balanced budget amendment, which put on there, which we can put that aside specifically about why that is such a horrendous idea. Uh, we can talk about that another time um but the the idea is that you get people on with these uh, get people to support this kind of move by kind of offering fairly reasonably sounding um kind of uh, kind of amendments that you want to change and so people are like oh this is fine and this is particularly um particularly um Particularly concerning that when you see somebody like Brian Fitzpatrick sign on to this, he's lending that kind of, you know, I'm the kind of problem solver caucus, the, I'm the moderate. He's lending that brand to real brand to what is really a an extremist position. Okay. Because look, here's here's the deal, right? Now let's 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 go through a little bit of a history here. If you're just saying Constitutional convention in the abstract, where you get to rework some of the things. Look, because there's a lot of things in our constitution that we could say that we're not so happy about, right? We look at what's happening with the Supreme Court right now, and we might really think about whether or not we're going to kind of uh, want to continue to support. Uh, this kind of structure of governance. Or we might look at what's happened with the Senate, where the Senate represents a minority, even if they have a majority of of senators, right, they still represent a minority of the people in this country, given the fact that, you know, these small rural states have been giving disproportionate um, influence by having two senators, the same as someone like, say, California, New York, or even Florida, for that matter. Right. So the Senate is an anti-democratic institution. Right. Um, So and the Supreme Court, we've seen what's happening here is that now you've got kind of like a majority of people on the Supreme Court who were elected, these kind of far right folks that we kind of see, you know, what they've already done by overturning Roe v. Wade, by going after labor, a whole bunch of stuff. These folks, um, you know, were appointed by presidents who were elected by a minority of Americans right? (laughs) People who lost the popular vote. So we can already see like where this might be appealing in the abstract. If we're saying a constitutional convention, we want to address these things and get it over with, right? This is when things that say progressives and the lefts and the liberals, especially the academic and the policy circle folks need to kind of like get out of the abstract head, get out of the abstraction of it and think about the real specifics. Because if we go back to what happened in 2010 to 2011, right? We've got the Tea Party victory, in 2010, right? Um, and the Republicans instituted their so-called red maps, right? And those red maps were a way to say, use the census that was taken in 2010. And then they knew that if they won lots of state legislatures, the state legislatures are a are kind of like the ones who are responsible for reapportioning kind of the districts, right? They're ones that go go through and kind of adjust the way that the districts work and all this. And we know that they can gerrymand districts. And that's precisely what they did in these uh, with this uh, red map initiative. So in 2011, beginning in 2011, you have, say, these um, Republicans just like, you know, yes, you had Obama win the White House, but we under Obama, we lost more Democratic houses and and governorships and state representatives um, that we had in like ages, right? Kind of at least among Democrats, right? So and that's because right in part the Obama administration, right, and the Democratic Party as a whole were paying attention to you know what was happening at the federal level, right? All the attention was going to the celebrities, not to the kind of nitty gritty politics that was happening in our own backyards at the state level. Okay, so. What they did is they did they gerrymandered all these districts so that they basically would be able to control, right, redistricting, and then control state governments for the foreseeable future, right? And that's what they do. Now we see we see reporting on this now. This is kind of regular. Uh, this is kind of regular reporting at this point. Right. The regular reporting at this point is saying that, you know, yes, we know Wisconsin because of that redistricting, Wisconsin has kind of like um, has consistently elected um, a Republican state legislator. Right. With a minority of, um, of votes. Right. You have kind of Democrats get like 60, uh, you know, anywhere about, say, 55, 56, 57 percentage of, of the votes, but Republicans get upwards of 60 percent of the representation right so they've already kind of positioned that and the way that these constitutional conventions work right it's kind of dictated by the state legislatures right so the state legislatures are now dominated by republicans in particular these right-wing republicans Right. So when we're even it's a a good idea, in the abstract say, oh, we want to find ways of adjusting the kind of the problems that we have in our structure as the kind of the country grows. Really, the Republicans, particularly the right wing Republicans, have already been building toward this kind of moment. And at the risk, if we get into a constitutional convention kind of now, all the best intentions in the world, we have, you know, we have a few representatives go in or say we're going to change this for the better. The fact is that they're going to be dominated by Republicans, dominated by right-wing Republicans who are interested in, in enshrining minority rule for their foreseeable future. So I think we've got Cyril back now. Um, Cyril, I was just giving folks a little bit of background about why this is potentially a bad idea. <laughs> and um, going back to, say, 2010, when Republicans basically gerrymandered the districts— right after the census and basically to ensure that we'd have minority rule at the state level and this kind of a constitutional convention at this point could open us up to that enshrining minority rule at the country level
0: yeah that's the real danger of it and and the thing is like there's no kind of um you know uh, safeguards uh from for like congress the president no say what's So you, like you were saying, like you have these state legislatures, and just like imagine like having like represented, like people appointed as constitutional um, delegates, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, or even like say like Andy Meehan from Bucks County, Um, the head of the right for Bucks, like these are the types of people that, you know, would be amending and, pa- and passing amendments, proposing amendments and potentially passing amendments. And, you know, as of now, it's supposed to be like thirty four, uh, you know, thirty eight states would have to kind of agree to pass that. But like, you know, as David Super, who I was talking to uh, a professor of law at Georgetown, um, you know, he was saying that, like, that that's not necessarily the case and that they could change the rules um, as the convention is going on. So it's just really dangerous. And now there is a way like for us to like change the constitution and we've done it 27 times in the past. Right. And that's where like two thirds of the U S house and the U S Senate would um, have to pass an amendment. And then three fourths of the states would then have to ratify it. Like, you know, if, if there were going to be changes like that, you know, I think like that's the most democratic way, small D democratic way to get that done
1: yeah because you think about it i mean then you have a series of uh, kind of potential input points from citizens like right, at that point right one it's got a pass so you have direct feedback on to whatever your representatives are as that would cause those amendments would initially go through and then it has to go to the kind of states and then you have the ability to go and pressure your state representatives to whether or not you want something like this passed right as opposed to what they're proposing is just basically no no we're going to take people out of the equation and just have representative people appointed by state legislators to make these rule changes. Is that basically what we're talking about? Yeah, and, and and I think this really
0: just kind of like unmasks like the real Brian Fitzpatrick, right. He's throwing his lot in with the most extremist elements of the Republican Party. And, you know, for those of us who kind of like follow him beyond like what the Bucks County Carrier Times and the intelligence prints like this isn't a surprise, right. Like he's careful with like certain votes and about like kind of like manufacturing this image. Um, and the kind of like the packaging around the Fitzpatrick brand. Um, But once you open up and see what's inside, he's someone, there's a reason why, you know, Jim Worthington has his ear. There's a reason why Donald Trump um, endorsed him in 2020. It's because they can depend on him when push comes to shove. Um, And, you know, this is just, this shows why every single election is so important, right? From the local legis- state legislatures to federal elections. Um, and this is why like folks really need to kind of like turn out and make sure one, like we need to flip Harrisburg, right? 100%. Yeah. Um, and, and set the tone there. And then obviously like we need, to kind of, we need better representation for the Pennsylvania first district. Someone who's gonna put the needs of the constituents before like special interests who are right-wing extremists. And that's why like Ashley has, like people need to be like kind of, you know, donating their time, donating whatever extra money you might have to push her campaign, to get it more visible, to talk to your neighbors, um, your friends, relatives about what's at stake here, right? And really like the, the existence of like, you know, multiracial American democracy, which isn't even in its 60th year yet is under threat by this you know this idea for a constitutional convention as well as like other threats which we can talk about later like um you know uh the um, emerging like christian nationalism right. and religious extremism that's really taken over the party but like the thing is like people like can't dismiss this right like even though this probably it's not gonna happen this year. It might not even happen next year. But like the one thing that, you know, Republicans do is they will play the long game and they get the money for the institutional building to play that long game. And that's how Roe, Wade, Roe v. Wade was finally overturned. So even if this happened, this doesn't happen next year, it could be five years from now. Um, but that's why we need to be organizing against this now. And that not just you know, at the, um, in the voting booths, but beyond that as well.
1: Well, you know, and this is a point that we've made before on the show, you and I have made this um, this point, we've had uh, Kirsten Zolfel on the show to kind of talk about this too, is that one of the things that is, uh, that's particularly insidious about what we're seeing here with Brian Fitzpatrick and all the more reason to shine a light on his involvement in, in this scheme is because in this way, he's basically using his kind of moderate brand as a way to cloak this in some sort of moderate movement or reasonable movement. Uh, And that shows us exactly the kind of work that he does, right? On the one hand, you know, he says, okay, you know, maybe I'm not going to vote with the kind of most extreme folks uh, on this issue or this particular issue. But when push comes to shoves on a major move that will be about enshrining minority power, right? Republican kind of minority rule for the foreseeable future. He uses that brand that he's cultivated as a way to cloak this stuff in more moderate Kind of clothing to give people a sense that, like, oh, maybe it's not such a bad thing, and that we like it's like getting that through people's heads as we go up into this about the stakes of this election and who Brian Fitzpatrick actually is seems so incredibly critical right now.
0: Yeah, and and, and this will open the door for uh, an abortion ban, right? Like that's going to be first and foremost, you know, on, on their agenda. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that's why Fitzpatrick, um, you know, in his time in office is so dangerous because he, he does kind of like put this like, you know, moderate face to the most extreme elements of the party and provides political cover for them. Right. You know, and, and unfortunately with like, um, you know, the point I was making before with like a local media, which actually, which acts more as lapdogs than watchdogs, Um, You know, a lot of people are
1: aware of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, you got this uh, this uh, this thing you say you have in in your piece. Right. And uh, everybody's got to check out his piece. There'll be a link in today's show notes. Right. It says uh, Representative Brian Fitzpatrick wants to change the U.S. Constitution and radically transform the country to give you a sense of some of the folks that are behind this. You have. You go to, uh, yes, the good old former P.A. Republican by the name of Rick Santorum, um, you know, who basically hopped on to this, uh, you know, convention of states action back in September 2021. And he's on that as a senior advisor to help usher some of this stuff through. Right. And he spoke to the American Legislative Exchange Council Policy Summit last year, um, basically to celebrate this kind of move. And this is what he said. He said, quote, Rural voters, even though there are fewer of them, actually have an outsized granted power under this process, said Santorum in leaked audio obtained by the Center for Media Democracy. Quote, and we have the opportunity as a result of that to have a supermajority, even though we may not be in an absolute majority when it comes to the people who agree with us. But because of the way that the concentration of votes has changed in this country, we can actually accomplish things. Right. This goes to show they know exactly what they're doing here. Right. This is not like, you know, hysterics coming from progressives who are worried about what could happen. This is like their own words talking about this plan to basically enshrine this minority rule.
0: And it explains why, like, the Republican Party is the party of voter suppression. Right. This explains why they they're, you know, almost 400 kind of bills that would restrict um, access to voting have been introduced in state legislatures across the country just this year, right? According to the Brennan Center. Um, So, you know, democracy, right? is not, it's an obstacle for them, not not the end game. you know, if, if they could have it, they would probably go back to the days of the Jim of Jim Crow laws um, if they thought they could kind of like explicitly get away with it.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's you know, this is one of the things that, again, we've talked about this um, on this show kind of multiple times is that, you know, that's I, my belief is I won't put words in your mouth. But I mean, my belief is that's really what all the school board stuff is about. Right. Um, that is what's uh, what we see in some of these extremist moves. It's all about. It's about keeping that base the extremist base constantly mobilized. Right. And this is precisely what people like Paul Martino and Andrew Andy Meehan have been ca- talking about explicitly when Paul Martino after his kind of big school board campaigns and dumping tens of thousands of dollars into school board um, school board races. When he comes out afterwards he says, oh. You know, tells the new york times podcast the daily basically says now i gotta see what i can do with this basically with this machine that i have built right because they're well aware that you keep these folks mobilized and you keep them kind of eyes, eyes of the prize and you got lots of money behind it these things can be successful so it's like you know it's, you see have this groundswell what appears to be a groundswell by these well-funded campaigns by a nationally coordinated effort to like overturn majority rule it scares shit out of me, to be honest with you.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's frightening. And it, you know, the the thing is, like they 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 do, they want to kind of like keep the base outraged, right? And so that's why they're kind of going to focus in on these like, you know, culture war boogeymen, um, whether it's like critical race theory um, being taught in schools, which isn't true um you know masking being some kind of like uh, attack not only on freedom but religious freedom it was being framed that way as well um within the far-right christian community um you know and just the whole the whole grooming and then and that's why it's just like you know the whole accusations of grooming being leveled at teachers and librarians based on books Right. And yeah, this, the school board issue is just, it, it's so huge too, because, you know, that that's one, another way that they see an opening in order to kind of like transform society um, to fit within the very small kind of ideological box.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, This is, I mean, right now, as we're recording tonight, um, as we're recording tonight, the Penridge School District is there kind of considering once again to pass a kind of student kind of uh, expression suppression uh, policy and uh, uh, teacher suppression sup- pol- expression sup- suppression policy um, that is being challenged by the ACLU, the NAACP, um, you know, national organizations against censorship and so on because they recognize what's going on. And it's kind of ironically, the school boards pres- provide a several small laboratories kind of across the country uh, for testing out kind of what they can do, what they can get away with um, and what can work. Um, I think we may have lost Cyril's Internet again, once again. So, um, um, we'll go here. Hopefully, he'll be able to join us back on. One thing I was just about, about to say, right be- um, about the transition to, is one of the things Cyril and I were talking about on the show um, ahead of time is, you know, you know, we should really talk about this um, excellent piece that um, Will Bunch put out this week in the Philly Inquiry Inquirer. I mean, this just came out just yesterday, actually. As you may kind of may or may not know, depending on uh, where you are and how much you're paying attention to Pennsylvania politics, um, Ron DeSantis, yes, the uh, governor of Florida, was here in Pennsylvania um, campaigning um, in part for uh, Doug Mastriano, right, um, on this kind of, you know, Christian nationalist platform. And Doug Mastriano, actually, I, you know, was reading this in kind of some other reporting that Doug Mastriano has uh, at that same event was very much is keen on wanting to become Florida of the north. Um, And as you've got them, you know, campaigns happening out in Arizona, so we want to be Florida of the west, right, Um, recognizing that what Ron DeSantis is doing down in Florida is what, uh, you know, is the model right that's the don't say gay bill right that's the kind of like teacher suppression uh, suppression of teacher speech in cl- in classrooms um they're doing we talked about this a little bit on friday they're doing um um teacher training um because they've replaced the textbooks and now they're reteaching the tra- the teachers about how to not talk about slavery how to avoid talking about um anything but kind of american exceptionalism and the rightness of the american christian nationalist tradition right it's absolutely frightening and when we talk to uh jennifer cohen next week we're you're going to hear a lot of the details uh of some of the these you know more kind of quote quote quote-unquote grassroots religious religious movements that are behind these candidates Um, And they're not just these little small fringe, uh, fringe groups, but they're kind of fairly substantial. They have lots of influence. Um, We've seen Doug Mastriano campaign with some of these folks. Um, But anyways, while we're waiting to see if Cyril can jump back on, I'll give you a kind of little taste of Will Bunch's column if you haven't checked it out already. Um, Because I I think it's really important to uh, emphasize what he says in here. Let me see if I give you here. Yes, his opening paragraph starts with this. He says that the Republican governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, brought his act to Pittsburgh on Friday and left little doubt that he's running for president in 2024. We need to talk about this. But first, let's look at the even more revealing event that DeSantis staged right before he boarded the jet for his Rust Belt road swing. A full on display of what 21st century American fascism looks like. In heavily Democratic Fort Lauderdale, the five-foot-nine DeSantis, the modern fulfillment of the Jimmy Breslinism about a small man in search of a balcony, elevated himself on a podium flanked as he often is by armed and uniformed men and women of law enforcement to highlight his crackdown on supposed voter fraud ahead of November's election. Quote, that is against the law and now they're going to pay for it, DeSantis declared of 20 Floridians. Um, almost all from Democratic strongholds such as Broward County, where his campaign rally-style announcement was staged, or Miami-Dade, accused of casting ballots despite a law um, barring them to do so. They'd been convinced, uh, because they'd been convicted of murder or sexual assault. But the event and its stench of law and order intimidation revealed so much more through what was left unsaid, such as the fact that DeSantis's Office of Election Crimes and Security like so much that the Florida governor does, a dangerous escalation of the GOP's long-running war on voters' rights to the straight-up authoritarian territory, has spent $3.9 million of taxpayer dollars to to find alleged fraud in less than 0.0002% of the 11 million votes cast in the Sunshine State. That's basically about $195,000 for each allegation, right? The problem here is with this and it goes on in the rest of this piece to kind of explain about the reason why this is a problem is because, you know, if you remember, Florida voters voted through referendum to basically over to basically overturn voters um, Florida's law that basically barred somebody who committed a felony from ever voting again in the state. Nope. They said, no, once you've done your time. Right. And you've done it. You haven't you, you know, you you're coming out after serving your time. Then you go through this process, basically get your voting rights back and that passed, Right. And then almost immediately after that, because DeSantis didn't like it, he kind of manipulated the system, got another way to kind of like take that back. Right. And put up additional barriers in front of those folks that were looking to get their vote back. So you had these folks who basically some folks who had felonies, you know, and and came out of prison, um, served their time. They were told that they were um, able to vote. They saw that this passed, so they registered to vote. In some cases, they were sent ballots in the mail, and they just returned the ballots. In other cases, um, after the journalist had really dug into this story, in other cases, the person went to register for vote and said, I have a felony. And the person who was going to register was convinced that they could not vote, but the election official Convince them otherwise, because the election fish officials believed that no, no, they had the right to vote. So they were trying to get them registered, but turns out that that was wrong. So, Desantis so basically uses this as a way of kind of launching this. We basically we're going to crack down primary black and brown voters in Democratic strongholds. Another way to suppress the vote. You're sending this message, right? Part of it is sending this message with all these cops lined up there with their gear by all these cops lining up beside him saying, we're coming for you. And so now, now you've got this, pe- this, this image in people's minds, right? That say they're coming after you. So even th- look, those 20 individuals, right. Are having, are basically being for all the reporting around it shows unjustly kind of prosecuted by this new law. Right. Um, we'll see what happens and about on appeals and things like this moving forward. But the bigger message goes out to everyone else, right? Is like if you have any ounce of doubt in your mind, maybe you better not cast a ballot. Why? Well, because you can't trust the election officials, they might give you wrong information. And if you go and you vote and it turns even if you're sent a ballot, even if they tell you you can vote and you vote and it turns out that you might not, you might not have that right, these folks are going to come for you and throw you back throw you back in jail or in jail. So that's how he leads to come up here, right? DeSantis has been kind of campaigning kind of strictly on these, you know, kind of right-wing Christian nationalist platforms. Let me see if I get this one part. This is going to come up again when we, uh, we talk to uh, Jennifer Cohen next week. Um, when she's talking about some of these theocratic organizations that are involved and they're going to talk about some of their language and stuff and uh, reading this piece by Will Bunch um, and reading the piece by Jennifer Cohen about um, the language that these um, theocratic Christian nationalist organizations are using your what DeSantis is saying the words he is using are right out of their playbook. Right. So this is the kind of signaling the extremists always do. Right. They don't come right out and say it for the most part. No, what they do is they signal to these groups that I'm on your side. Right. So let me just give you a a kind of uh, I'm going to read you a chunk of this. So it says DeSantis's national campaign is in full swing which came to Pennsylvania this weekend with a controversial embrace of our extremist and Christian nationalist GOP gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano. This marks a major turning point as America looks warily toward 2024 election that has already a kind of 1860 feel to it. Right now, DeSantis, the only serious Republican rival to Trump, according to the polls, is demolishing the myth that the former guy would be, uh, be challenged by a moderate. Instead, DeSantis is taking the loose ideology of Trumpism to new extremes of demonizing the other and positioning the GOP as an anti-democratic movement. With more than 100 protesters outside, DeSantis told a packed downtown Pittsburgh Hall um, ballroom in a lame, whiny echo to Winston Churchill, We must fight the woke in our schools. We must fight the woke in our businesses. We must fight the woke in government agencies. We can never, ever surrender to woke ideology. The use of a cadence that opposed Nazism in 1940 to instead attack American citizens as the enemy was obscene. Just the fact that DeSantis, the head of the state with a large Jewish population, thought it important to endorse Mastriano, despite the shocking revelations about the Pennsylvanians' ties to the website Gab, a cesspool of anti-Semitism that inspired the 2018 mass murder of 11 Jewish people at a synagogue just a few miles from where he spoke, that was a powerful illustration of a political party's downward spiral, spiral into madness. In addition to the anti-Semitism flap, something else that DeSantis never mentioned once on his Pennsylvania road trip was Donald Trump. But the former president was clearly paying attention. Just minutes after DeSantis finished speaking um, in the 4 the former president of the United States, the FAPOTUS, <laughs> tweeted that he too is coming to Pennsylvania for a rally with Mastriano, as well as his endorsed U.S. Senate candidate, Mehmet Oz, on September 3rd in Wilkes-Barre. Let that sink in. The radical extremism extremism of Mastriano, who brought busloads of supporters to D.C. on January 6th of 2021 and marched to the brink of the Capitol during an insurrection, who organized a slate of fake electors and has made clear his hostility to counting every vote, who invokes God to promote radical views against abortion, climate change and public education, who's supposed to make the Republican establishment run for the hills. Right. That's what he was supposed to do. But no, instead. The two true leaders of today's GOP are tripping over each other to embrace a homophobic anti-Semite bidding to run the state where the American experiment began. The stakes for 2024 have never looked starker than f- Friday as the sun set over the Ohio River. DeSantis ended his plea ended his speech with a plea for supporters to quote put on the full armor of God. This is exactly the language of these extremists right-wing christian nationalist that jennifer cohen is writing about the full armor of god it was a blatant signal that the floridian the floridian is fully down with christian nationalism not only in the um, that not only subverts the founders' desires for a separation of church and state, but looks nothing like what Jesus would actually do. Because in Desantis's vision of America, cursed are the weak, the transgender kid with a target on their back, the school children he wants to indoctrinate with false sanitized history, the communities of color seeking to exercise their hard-fought voting rights. We who believe in free speech and free inquiry in the face of an oppressive state must also don our armor, because this, the fight for the soul of America, has been joined. Right? I didn't intend to read so much of that tonight, but I was like, when Will Bunch is writing this stuff, look, I love Will Bunch's writing, but this is like, this. if this doesn't sound the alarm, I, I don't know what will. DeSantis coming here, I mean, look, I, I was having this conversation with somebody else like earlier on today, and it's like, I remember years ago when we first started Raging Chicken, for example, like um, within our first year, like we started in in 2011. And within our first year, we were already, Sean Kitchen in particular, was uh, tracking these kind of white nationalist groups kind of beginning to show up on college campuses, right? Begin to show up in uh, just an additional Klan rally out by Harrisburg, things like that and in the work up to 2016, which is one of the reasons why we started the weekly podcast actually, right? Because we started, Sean was reporting on this. I was reporting on this. We were kind of, and we kept on saying, right. We need to pay attention to these, these folks and what their organizational structure is. Now this is before the proud boys were kind of like, you know, this national kind of like, like, like national name, right? There were proud boys in Pennsylvania. There were militia folks in Pennsylvania. But they didn't, they hadn't lifted to the level of national discourse, right? In part because the national media and frankly, um, the professional managerial class and the you know the 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 leadership of the Democratic Party and most of the kind of like you know political operatives, when you would talk to them about these white supremacists and we would write about it, we used to get like hate messages from people, and not people on the right wing, right? We're talking about Democrats. Right. And kind of like, you know, liberals or, you know, I am, you know, you know, know, socially liberal, but fiscally conservative folk. These people who would tell us to tamp it down. Tamp it down, guys. If you keep talking about them, you're going to give them a platform. The best thing you could do is ignore them and then they'll go away. Literally, I cannot tell you how many times we were told this. I was told this by colleagues on my campus. We were told this, in, you know, again, we had emails coming in. We had kind of comments. We had, you know, people saying stuff about, think on, you know, on Twitter and social media about, you know, really pissed off that we kept on talking about this stuff. But what we saw back then was that you could see the structures lining up. In the same way that they had lined up for the Tea Party victory in 2020 in 2010, the way that these dark money organizations, which, you know, this is one of the reasons why I, I, I want to have Alyssa Bowen on the show. Any chance I get because Alyssa Bowen and you know, the folks over at True North Research are tracking this dark money. And we need that information. Well, we have you know when well, we have Jennifer Cohen on next week we're going to look at these organizations that are off the radar of the mainstream media and we need to understand what Cyril was saying before you know we kind of lost him through the kind of the joys of the internet what Cyril was saying before this is deadly serious we could legit lose our democracy here because the folks on the extreme they've got belief You know, Rick Smith always talks about this, right? You can't argue with faith and belief. These people are true believers. You can show them facts, and they're like, I don't believe that. Why? Because I don't. There is nothing behind that other than because uh, because it's faith. If you ever try to argue somebody out of their faith, it is not easy. But this is precisely what happened. You know, I, I wish I could remember the name of this uh, name of this um, uh, this writer that was on the majority report not too long ago. And I was like, yes, I was like, yes, ending like all the entire time that they were uh, being interviewed because they were talking about what, what fascism is. Right. Say fascism. Yes, you have this kind of this more closer and closer alliance between the state and corporations. Right. The state and the capitalists in particular. Right. So you have the capitalist actors like these oligarchs and concentration of wealth, which we we have here, and then the kind of the the minimizing role of the kind of regulatory state, or as the right wing likes to say, the legislative or the uh, administrative state, right? And then work these two things working in concert, right? The government working to facilitate what these rich folks do. But there's always another component to that. I believe it was actually William Horn when we had him on. We had him on the show. I think it was William Horn when we had him on the show. Now that it's coming coming back to me, there's always been this faith or religious component to it as well, right? Because you have to kind of like, you know, I I go back. There's this. There's this documentary I used to show to my students. It's kind of. I would still show it, but it's kind of dated now. So all the references are kind of like it makes it seem really old, like you're kind of like you know old hat, Um, but. it was the persuaders. It was a it was a, a PBS Frontline documentary, and um, Douglas Ruskoff, I think his name was, uh, who ran it. And basically, there were he was interviewing these folks that are kind of are in the kind of persuasion industry. So you're talking about the PA, uh, the, the the public relations, the marketing campaigns, and then the political world. But one of the things that some of these advertisers, these particularly these brand advertisers, right, which are not so much interested in, in getting you to buy products because of the higher quality level. They're trying to attach an emotional experience to the brand or to the product, right? And try to get you to want this thing, right? Try to get you to want this thing at this kind of like visceral level, right? At this kind of sub-rational level. Right, and this one guy, he wrote this book. Um, I, I'm um, Sachi and Sachi. I think he used to be the uh, the head of, and he was the. It was an advertising firm in New York, and uh, he wrote this book called Love Marks. Right, and he said the goal, this love mark that he was trying to shop, right, was a way to get people to commit to a brand, right, to have loyalty beyond reason loyalty beyond reason to recognize that look and this guy even said this he's like look he says you look at all these kind of products out there and like you know they basically do the same thing right you know water is (laughs) wet you know shoes kind of feel good on your feet uh you know laundry detergent gets stains out right and again there's differences between these things i get i'm not trying to erase that but he's basically saying Well, how do you get somebody to kind of commit to your product? How do you get somebody to commit to your brand? And so you get them to the point where they have loyalty beyond reason. They connect with your product in this kind of mystical way, if you will. And in the same documentary, they interviewed, you know, people who who were, they work for the PR and the the advertising agencies, um, but they studied cults for a living. And then they, then they studied people who, are attached with particular products and behave cult-like to try to understand what gets them to be part of this and then to get them to have this loyalty to beyond reason. And so they looked at people like people that, you know, drive VW buses, the hippie folks and all this kind of stuff, Grateful Dead fans, Apple users, right? iPhone users, whatever. And they studied them, and they said all these groups that have this strong commitment to whether it's a band, whether it's a particular way of life, whether it's a particular product, or or cults, they all have this loyalty beyond reason. They're all about finding community with each other, self-reinforcement, right? And through that experience, they mitigate all their relationships with each other, and they have faith that this is good. You can't talk them out of it why because you just don't understand you don't have the faith it's frightening right i mean this was a documentary from early from you know kind of like 2004 2005 or something like this right they were doing that at the, you know just was just your baseline capitalist pr marketing firms and at the end of the documentary they say how this has all shifted into the political spheres Right. And this is before social media. You know, there was some social media at that point, but they were already talking about these kind of data mining and all this and how they were using this as a way to kind of manipulate discourse. And so all that infrastructure about getting people to kind of buy into these kind of ideas and shut out rationality, to shut out reason preceded this rise of the extremists. But that faith component, this is my long way of getting back to the point, that faith component, right, that religious cultish behavior, right, is now connected to a political movement. We've often said on the show that, you know, like, Trump didn't make the Republican Party what it is, right? He just walked in and put on the coat and found that it fits (laughs) so-so. right? The Republican party, the right wing in this country built that coat. They set the stage. They laid out the red carpet. They just waited for that person to come forward. And yes, Republican party whined and complained that Donald Trump was blah, 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 this and that, but they all came around pretty quickly, right? We've seen, I mean, you've all seen it now, that footage, like, yeah, here's what Lindsey Graham said about Donald Trump being a threat to democracy. This is what he said. He was campaigning. And then now look at what Lindsey Graham says about Donald Trump. He's the future of the party, blah, 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 blah. Because really at the core, again, this is one of the themes we talk about on the show over and over and over again, the, at the core of the Republican party, the, what that is about, it's about power. It is no longer, if it ever was, about a set of ideas about family values and kind of blah, blah, blah. No, it is about power and it is about a Christian nationalist, neo-fascist, fascist, however you want to put it, movement about maintaining white supremacist capitalist rule in this country at, and the doing so from a position of being a minority. The Democratic Party had it wrong. The Democratic Party would always say, i i shouldn't say Democratic leadership in the national democratic party thought demographics by themselves were going to magically transform the future of it and they wouldn't have to do anything they wouldn't have to do politics they would just have to get elected they would just have to raise money and wait for the democratic demographic shift to happen meanwhile the republicans were saying hey there's a demographic shift that's happening and we know like there's no guarantees in the future, but we know if you look at African-American voters, they vote at about, about a 90 percentile rate in favor of Democrats. Right. And we see similar trends, although it's not the same and different kind of like kind of uh, kind of ethnic groups and breakdowns and things like this. Um, and we also kind of noticed that kind of women aren't too happy about the anti-abortion stuff. So we can see the writing on the wall. So, Hey, let's start to prepare. Let's start setting up infrastructure so that we can still maintain power, regardless of whether we're the majority or not, regardless of whether our ideas are popular or not. And at the same time, we could slowly start, keep on the militarization of our police forces, right? We could keep on the the punishment aspect of things, uh, throwing more and more people in jail so we're building up that militaristic state in support of this white Christian nationalism. That's where we're at. So, you know, that's why we pay attention to this stuff. When you start bringing that faith question into politics and political movements, and reason has been abandoned, that these folks have loyalty beyond reason to Donald Trump, to whatever kind of like Ron DeSantis, Doug Mastriano, nothing is going to convince them. Otherwise, everything that you point out that I point out about why Mastriano is a threat, they see as a lie or proof of concept that they were right about Doug Mastriano. Yes, he's doing the right thing. Now some folks are coming around. I get that. I understand. you know a third 40 percent maybe higher than that are not convinced and we're not going to be able to convince them in the short term maybe over the long term maybe but right now we're in a we're in a, a power battle right about whether or not we are going to be able to maintain democracy and that's happening in less than 90 days now Right? These elections coming up in November are are gonna set the stage for that next round. Cause this is why I look, look, I get people all the time from Harrisburg who are at Harrisburg or work at the political scene and all this stuff. So, well look, you know, like like uh, Brian Fitzpatrick, I don't know, he's like is he hard it's like look. So what's the so what? Brian Fitzpatrick, yes, he's built this kind of like, he's built this brand, he's built this image, people have loyalty to beyond reason to Brian Fitzpatrick. They say, oh, he's a moderate, he's an okay guy, despite his record, despite what he's doing, despite his backing of anti-choice stuff, despite, despite the fact that he has laid the groundwork for helping overturn Roe v. Wade, that he is giving cover right now for an extremist position about a constitutional convention... You'll still get from, well, yeah, you know, he, but he's in okay, blah, blah, blah. Damn what these consultants say. We've got to get rid of Brian Fitzpatrick. This is why all the organizations, are I, I have to say, look, the work that, you know, I have to say, like, say, Gwen Stoltz's campaign is doing, the Jim Miller's campaign is doing, Ashley Ehas' campaign are doing, is, like, freaking awesome. And that has everything to do with all these people who stayed engaged, all the parents and the community members who stayed engaged after what's been happening at the school boards, who've watched what's happened in their communities. And instead of saying, throwing their hands up and gone away, have dug deeper, brought more people in and have been out there organizing. Like we have legitimately, when Cyril Cyril said we need to flip the PA legislature, we've got a chance to do that. Yes, it's an uphill battle, but we're in a better position now than we have been in in ages, in part because we actually got like fairly legitimate district maps that we actually have people out there organizing. That you had parents and community members who have been out and have been organizing, are basically kind of basically, you know, giving the hand to like the Democratic consultant class, basically saying, you want in? All right, good. But this is what we're doing. You want to help us win? Then you help us win. We're not going to listen to your nonsense because you just screwed us in the last school board elections. And you don't believe me? Go back and read Dina Lagerman's stuff. And her, go back and listen to her when when I when we had we had Dita Legerman on this show. Talking about precisely what happened when you had the kind of Democratic consultant class come in and told everybody not to talk about not to talk about um CRT, not to talk about the anti-masking stuff, to just stay with the issues and don't ignore that. And then by the time they realized, oh my God, that's the issue; those are the issues. It was too late. You cannot start to run a campaign about what's happening uh, like in the school boards like a week before the election, but that's what they did. And they've done it before, but now, you know, again, burnt hand teaches best, I guess. I don't know. You have folks that are coming out and they're not, they're just doing the, they're doing the hard work. Like I've said in my entire time of living in Percisee, I have never had so many people show up to my door Right, And if they did show up to my door, or knock on my door to try to get me to vote for someone, they were always Republicans, with two notable accept- exceptions in, whatever, 13 years. Until this year. And now, the people showing up on my door, Gwen Stoltz's campaign, Ashley Ehas' campaign, Mark Pinsley's campaign, There's more Shapiro signs that are out there than I have seen before. Those are happening in my neighborhood, which we've never seen before. This is all good. And that's what Cyril was talking about. So anyways, um, yeah. Yeah. I hope everybody's going to tune in next week when we talk to Jennifer Cohen about these uh, these religious extremists and Christian nationalists. Um, do definitely check out that piece by Will Bunch. Um, it was published yesterday uh, in The Enquirer. It's called uh, The Barely Hidden Fascism Around DeSantis Makes a, a PA stip, a Pit Stop on the Race to 24. Um, just great, great writing about that. Definitely got to check out what is happening over at the beacon. Uh, It's unfortunate that uh, that that Cyril's like Internet cut out um, that we couldn't um, keep on going. I wanted to actually have him give us a preview of some of the stuff that is happening over in the beacon. But I mean, you know, look, chances are, if you're listening to the show, um, you've heard me say this before that, you know, the Bucks County beacon is just tearing it up right now. I mean, I just want to just you know, if you look at just what's on their main news page. Right. I mean, it starts from. You know former teacher laurie smith determined to improve pa uh, from harrisburg talking about local representatives this kind of local coverage is freaking amazing right excellent coverage of what's happening down and we're going to try to get somebody on the show for this too as well Um, That, you know, there's been an ongoing um, push down in the Warminster area um, and throughout Bucks County to privatize the water system, right? There's big pushback against this. And there's um, great reporting by uh, Jenny Stevens about um, the kind of popular pushback against the privatization of um, the water and sewer. Um, we've got fantastic Marley Parrish also, um, well, her, she published it in, the, the Penn capital star, um, bucks County beacon also picked up her piece there about Rose reversal puts abortion, um, access on the ballot in Pennsylvania. And it just goes on and on. If you look at, um, the, you know, the original stuff that they've been covering around the school boards, right. Um, you know, Penbridge school district proposed policy on student expression is extreme and unconstitutional. Great piece by Catherine Caruso. Um, this published Thursday, great piece that they, um, that they, um, aggregated from the conversation from um, uh, I'm forgetting the person's name, but so what the U S could learn from apartheid area, book bands in South Africa, giving kind of social context, giving this kind of cultural context, historical context, um, for what's happening right here. Um, great, um, discussion with, uh, uh interview with, uh, Jim Miller, who's running to represent, um, the 145th district, um, in Harrisburg. We're also looking to get, um, Jim Miller on the show. So again, this is what's happening in Bucks County Beacon. And it gets me so excited that we finally have a kind of a news outlet, right. And a publication that is bringing together this amazing work that's already been going on in our communities and serving as well, you know, a beacon, right. Um, but even more that as kind of an amplification, um, um, method. It serves as amplification for the work that's going on in our community and bringing this work together. So um, great work going on at the Beacon. Do check them out at buckscountybeacon.com. I'm sorry if everybody tuned in. Uh, We're really looking forward to hearing Cyril. I know that uh, everyone always loves it when he's on the show, Uh, but you know, technology is what technology does. And here we are tonight. Um, So there we have it. Um, on a personal note, this is, um, my week before we go back to school. Um, for, I don't, I don't know if this is true for every district, um, kind of in the, who are, you're listening to this, I know some, some schools have already gone back this past week. I don't know about in Pennsylvania, this area, but I know other states, um, Monday is back to school, um, here in the Penridge school district, central box and across box County. It's back to school, uh, for me too, as well at Kutztown university, um, Things are going to get um, are going to get hot, you know, and for the first time it was I was remarkable. You know, I've mentioned this before. My son um, is, you know, I mean, smart kid and stuff like this. He's uh, does not dig politics. Right. You know, Um, know, but he knows what's going on. Right. He pays attention. It's just kind of not his thing. Um, Surprised the crap out of me today when he came down. um, I'm working on my syllabus down here and he comes and he's, uh, uh, you know, he's up kind of playing games and talking with friends, stuff like that. And he said, yeah, I was just watching the last Penridge school board meeting (laughs) on YouTube. I'm like, get out of here. Are you serious? And uh, because he is, he is really frustrated. And can't believe that the Penridge school district is going to kind of try to suppress a student and kind of like teacher expression uh, through this policy. So he wanted to know what's going on. So he's checking out. That's awesome. And he asked me, he was like, well, why can't students speak up? I said, Oh no, they can. And so if you watch some more of those school boards, those students are some of the most powerful speakers that come up. It's like, there just didn't happen to be any that came up, um, at least in the time that he was watching today. But, you know, after I get off this, I'll probably check that out a little bit. Well, I look, get back to work, with on my syllabi. Oh, excuse me. So there's that. Uh, this coming Friday, we'll um, be back for our Friday Politics Roundup. Um, and uh, maybe we'll kind of be able to continue this conversation with Cyril at another point. Um, about this Constitutional Convention do check out his article um, it's quite quite excellent um, next week once again we'll have uh, Jennifer Cohen on the show to talk about her piece um, in the Bucks County Beacon on kind of you know the religious fanatics that are kind of um, behind the Mastriano campaign and uh, a bunch of what we're seeing in the kind of right-wing world these days but for now I'm gonna call it a night uh, thank you all for tuning in tonight. Uh, kind of always really appreciate your support. Um, look forward to uh, all that's coming ahead of us. Even though I know it's going to be a fight, I know a lot of us are tired. Um, Where all of us got our, some of us got some issues that we're dealing with. I know I had some health issues that have really kind of uh, put me back a bit. Um, all seems to be good, you know. Fingers crossed. But um, here we go. Um, I wish you all well. Um, look forward to our continued discussions and. Um, over there. As you can see, I'm just kind of like faded out as it is. Anyways, uh, this is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, happy to be here with everybody tonight. Uh we'll see you no on the flip side. The we'll the see you on future. social medias, people we'll see you out there on the streets, everybody. No Let's keep it up. We've got a lot of work future. to do.
0: See ya! The Let me try my people card.